During a period between February 1975 and January 1976, a series of despicable unsolved murders sent shockwaves through Broward County and Miami-Dade counties in Florida. The eerie pattern emerged as 12 young girls and women were discovered either in or near the canals of South Florida their lives tragically cut short. As investigators delved deeper into the troubling cases, forensic experts found themselves divided in their opinions. While some questioned the possibility of a sole perpetrator being responsible for these heinous acts, others went even further, theorizing that the same murder might have been might have claimed the lives of more than 30 women across multiple states. So the lingering question remains, Were these tragic events the work of one twisted individual or were multiple killers haunting the region during this dark chapter of history? As the years have passed, the search for answers continues and the families of the victims hope for justice to prevail. The unresolved nature of these crimes serves as a haunting reminder of the mysteries that lie unsolved and the souls yet to find peace. Welcome to the Weird and Wicked Podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kristen. (laughs) And we're two sisters with a passion for the mysterious and the unknown. On our podcast, we'll explore killer cases and the most puzzling phenomena. Come with us down the rabbit hole where we'll take a magnifying glass to the most bizarre, unnerving, and unbelievable stories. From true crime and conspiracy theories to ghosts and cryptids, we'll cover it all. Don't forget to check out our case submission form on our website. And of course, follow us on your social media platform of choice and YouTube. This episode contains topics such as murder and mutilation. It is strictly intended for mature audiences only. The story is recounted from a number of sources that are listed in our show notes. Our discussion on this podcast is based solely on our own research and conclusions. Listener discretion is advised. So this story starts on February 1st, 1975 in hot, sunny Florida with the first possible victim of the flat tire murder. A 20-year-old woman originally from Indiana by the name of Judith Ann Osterling? I think it's Osterling. Yeah, Osterling. Osterling. Went missing from Miami-Dade County on February 1st, 1975. She is thought to have gone missing after she got off of work for the night. She worked at a massage parlor in the Miami area and was supposed to be on her way home after her shift was over. Two days after her disappearance, her body was found floating in the canal that borders Broward and Miami-Dade counties. Roughly 10 months later, a woman named Sue Jane Walter, who was also known as Tiger Sue, confessed that she and her boyfriend, Clarence Carnival, 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 (laughs) I don't know, Carnivali, I don't know, beat Judith unconscious and threw her into a polluted canal one half mile west of US 27 and left her to drown. According to Sue, the two did this because Judith refused to perform sexual acts with the couple. As far as we know, Sue was booked and charged with first-degree murder and was held without bond. As for Clarence, he was murdered four months after Judith's murder on June 13, 1975. So, this case is kind of weird. Originally, I had found that 
um, Judith was a part of the flat tire killing spree, mm-hmm. murder spree. But then I found information about this. Um, so she could still be connected to it. But then this mm-hmm. lady came out and confessed. So we, I wanted to add this just in case because the way she was found, where she was found, also lines up with the victims that we're going to be bringing up. Only 11 days later, another woman would go missing. On February 12, 1975, Barbara Davis Stevens planned on having a chill evening visiting a friend in Coral Gables. She left her parents' home in southwest Miami around 7 p.m., and on her way there, Barbara decided to stop at a gold triangle store that was across from the Dadelin Mall. I don't, I should have looked up what these were. I'm assuming it's like a little mini convenience store or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I get, I assume. I'm not sure either. Here she bought a couple of new rock and roll records, walked out of the store, and seemed to vanish into thin air. She never made it to her friend's house, and by the next morning, a co-worker of hers became seriously concerned when they found Barbara's 73 cream olive silver Camaro in the gold triangle parking lot, abandoned with the doors unlocked, keys still in the ignition, and traces of blood on her steering wheel. So, definitely concerning. Yeah. She was supposed to go to her friend's house, never got there. And I guess was supposed to work the next day. And then her coworkers find her car still at the gold triangle. Yeah. Doors unlocked. Keys still in there. So not the best situation. Eight days later, Barbara's body was found in a patch of woods behind a grocery store. This was at the corner of Southwest 87th Avenue and Sunset Drive. While she was wearing the same clothes that her father last saw her in, her pants were pulled down. Investigators also found one of her shoes laying a short distance away from her. The investigation that took place after she was found revealed that Barbara was stabbed multiple times in her abdomen before leaving, being left in those woods. So investigators had her car that they could search And in it, they found blood, dust, and grass on it. This led authorities to believe that her killer had used the car to transport her to the dump site and then returned the Camaro to the Golden Triangle. Which is pretty bold. So weird. Yeah. Yeah. He took all that time, or whoever, whoever killed her, I guess, just took all that time to use her car mm-hmm. to take her and then bring it all the way back. All the way back, unlocked, with blood yeah. in it, with evidence in it. He it's just kind of dumb. didn't care, though. Mm-hmm. It's really wild. After Barbara's murder, the spree seemed to have stopped. Roughly two months passed by before another similarly tragic discovery would be made. On April 9th, 1975, a 17-year-old girl named Arietta Tinker was dropped off by her husband at the Hippopotamus Lounge on Hollywood Beach around 1 p.m. He offered her a ride home, but she declined, assuring him that she could find her way back alone. Arietta never made it home that night. She was last seen at the Lums, Lums, Lums restaurant. I'm not sure. 
near Young Circle, which was only a little over half a mile from her house. Three days would pass before she was found, floating in Snake Creek Canal. This canal was situated about half mile, half a mile east of Highway 27 in Miramar, Florida. This was the same area where Judith was found just three months prior. Some reports differ as to whether she was discovered by an off-duty officer riding his bike or four teens who were out fishing. Although there were no signs of foul play, detectives suspect that, dr- that she drowned in the canal. They speculate that she was murdered because they couldn't explain how else she would wind up dead so far away with no car. Yeah, so I looked this up, and from Hollywood Beach, where she was dropped off by her husband at that lounge, it's roughly 40 to, like, 45 minutes to get from there to where she was found. And that's Mm -hmm. driving. Yeah. I looked it up walking, and it would take about eight hours to walk that distance. So she had to be transported. Yeah, she did not get there on foot. Um, Mm -hmm. Someone definitely drove her something happened there was a third party involved i feel like Mm -hmm. yeah again there was another two-month period where there were no other reports of murders similar to these thus far but on june 8th the hiatus was broken barbara schreiber and belinda zet i don't know how to say her name zetterauer yeah something like that were two young girls both at the age of 14 On the evening of June 8th, they left the Schreiber home in Hollywood, Florida to go spend the night at another friend's house, Valerie's. On their way out, they told Barbara's mother and then left. The next morning, a family was out boating when they found the two girls laying side by side along the canal parallel to Highway 27. This was about four miles north of Andytown, which was an outpost for truckers and fishermen, but no longer exists. So I'm assuming it was kind of a remote sort of area. Mm -hmm. That's what I kind of gathered from that. Yeah. But I'm not exactly sure. These girls were found fully clothed, but there are conflicting reports about whether or not they were sexually abused. One article states that there was no conclusive evidence that they were, but one of them was found with their underwear on backwards. So, yeah, it kind of gives it away. (laughs) Yeah, really sad. After autopsies were conducted, it was found that both Barbara and Belinda were shot once with a large caliber bullet. Investigators believed it may have been a forty-five, Because there was so much blood at the scene, at the scene, they also think that the girls were forced to lay down, were shot, and their bodies abandoned there. When investigators spoke to Valerie, she shared that neither of the girls had ever made plans to sleep over with her, and that this was an excuse that they would often use when they wanted to go somewhere without their parents knowing. There are a lot of conflicting reports on their movements that night, but newspaper accounts most commonly state that they visited a different friend's house and then were last seen at the intersection of Route 441 and Hollywood Boulevard and were later seen walking, trying to like hitch a ride. But again, all of them are really conflicting, so we really just don't know what they were doing that mm-hmm. night. Yeah. 
it's a sad story. Like, really if they is. were trying to hitch a ride, just like, just don't hitchhike people <laughs> just don't do it it was so common back then too but mm-hmm. oh my god yeah, not not a smart thing to do especially at the age of 14 they were so young yeah mm-hmm. even if you're with your friend like it's yeah not, it's not safe <laughs> shit can still happen to you mm-hmm. it's really sad though after this there was no break on june 13th 1975 just six days after Barbara and Belinda were found, another woman was flo- was found floating in the canal parallel to Highway 27 in Broward County. Again, all in these same yeah. areas, these same women are area. being found. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like same thing, floating in a canal. Yeah. It's either like floating in a canal, which is horrible, mm-hmm. or like right on the bank of the canal. Mm-hmm. So... So similar, all of these. Yeah. Investigators identified her as Nancy Lee Fox. Nancy had reportedly moved to Fort Lauderdale earlier that year in hopes of escaping an unhappy love triangle involving her sister and a man named William Moore. Nancy was last seen alive on June 13th. Some reports share that she was hitchhiking while some say she was walking to a laundromat and some say... That she had gotten off of work and was walking back to her apartment right before she disappeared. Nancy was struck over the back of her head with a blunt object and was choked before her body was thrown into the water. So sad. Like, you can just kind oh of... God. Like, when you try to imagine it, I can just picture somebody, like, coming up behind her and just attacking her mm-hmm. out of nowhere. She just got off work. She's just minding her own business, mm-hmm. trying to get home. Yeah. So there there were at least two suspects in Nancy's murder. The first, a man named Walter Wirth. Walter was a convicted rapist who had abducted 18-year-old Cheryl Ives from a laundromat. This laundromat was just over a mile away from Nancy's apartment, and the incident reportedly took place just over 24 hours after her body was discovered. Worth had slit Cheryl's throat with a razor blade when she tried to escape him. Oh, I hate. Yeah. It literally gives me chills. I People could not are imagine. sick. Like, why would you do this to somebody? Just a random Disgusting. stranger. Mm-hmm. Somehow, she miraculously survived the attack, thankfully, and was able to, pr- to help provide officers with vital information, with le- which led Worth's arrest shortly Oh my gosh, I can't speak. (laughs) (laughs) She gets too many words. (laughs) Was able to help provide officers with vital information, which led to Worth's arrest shortly after her attack. The second suspect in Nancy's case was reported as a man who was involved in a love triangle with her. His name was never referenced, but is widely accepted that it was William Moore. Today, we do not know if either of these men are suspected of the crime still, and her case remains unsolved. I don't know what's up with the 70s. Like, they had to have collected evidence, but yeah, it just wasn't good enough, and there wasn't enough to convict anyone. Yeah. It's, it's just, just really... It's sad. weird because I just researched the other case that were about to film next and it's the same thing like they collected all the evidence but they didn't have they couldn't like 
do like any the, DNA testing. Yeah. The technology wasn't, wasn't there yet. Yeah. It's not clear to me if they like try if they did have like a certain level of DNA testing and it just like wasn't good enough or mm-hmm. if they just didn't have it at all. But it's like the same kind of thing. Yeah. You would think by 2023, like this would still be investigated. But yeah, all of these cases are still unsolved. Yeah, um, that's kind of crazy to me. Yeah, so maybe there's just not like the pressure on law enforcement True. to like reopen the case. Or, yeah, I don't know. That's why talking why. about it helps. Yes, <laughs> we need to get this one out there. Let's yeah figure out who did this because it's despicable. Right? Yeah, and we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> literally (laughs) there's so many more there's yeah more tragedy struck about a month later on july 10th when a family vacationing from fort myers florida spotted an arm sticking out of highway 27 canal same canal that all of these are happening at this was about 10 miles south of where barbara belinda and nancy were found This body was quickly identified as Robin Leslie Losh. Robin was 14 years old and was reported missing by her parents just two days earlier after she didn't return home from her summer classes at Stranahan High School. An autopsy revealed that Robin likely drowned. Because there were no other injuries to her, investigators could not definitively determine whether she was a victim of foul play or an unfortunate accident. Which, again, is kind of a reoccurring theme. Um, right. I forget the other woman's name, but the one who was dropped off at the lounge and mm-hmm. wound up 45 minutes in the other direction. Yeah. And, again, mm-hmm. they couldn't figure out if someone else had done it to her or if it was just a really unfortunate accident. So. Yeah. By this time, law enforcement in the area were finding it hard to deny any connections between these cases, like we mentioned. Unfortunately, they didn't have sufficient evidence to track down any promising leads. I feel like it's a true crime community cliche, but this is that moment in these investigations where they're pretty much just like waiting on another body to show up so they can maybe get more evidence. It's so sad to say, but it's true in so many cases. Like they just, they couldn't go anywhere with what Mm -hmm. they had so far. Right. So they couldn't catch anyone. So it's like waiting on more evidence, waiting on this guy to possibly be caught. Mm -hmm. But right. Yeah. Unfortunately, investigators wouldn't have to wait long because 12 days later, another woman would go missing again. Ronnie Sue Gorlin was 27, working as a respiratory therapist, and was living in Pennsylvania with her fiancé at the time. The two had lived there together for about a year. She was actually visiting Hollandale for a few weeks to see her parents while also making some wedding plans with them. On the afternoon of July 22, 1975, she planned to meet up with, uh, with some of her old co-workers to catch up and tell them about her wedding plans. After chatting with them, she told them that she wanted to stop by the 163rd Street Shopping Center before heading to the Parkway General Hospital at 2 p.m. 
to see her mother where she was being treated for a stomach bug. Ronnie never showed up at the hospital that day and was never seen alive again. The next day, about three hours after her father had reported her missing, a survey crew found her floating in the Grom Canal. That's how you say that, right? It's either Grom or Graham. Grom? I don't know. Either she way. Was found, she was found naked with signs of being sexually assaulted and then stabbed to death. Oh. An autopsy was performed by Dr. Ronald Wright, the county's chief medical examiner at the time. This revealed that she was indeed raped and sexually mutilated before drowning in the canal. The autopsy results also suggested that she had been in the canal since Tuesday night. Police were unsure if she was knocked unconscious before being thrown into the canal or possibly held down in the water until she drowned, but the only article of clothing left on her was one sandal. Her car was later found in the Hollywood Mall parking lot, blocking traffic with a slash tire on the front right side. Police speculate whether she ever made it to the mall. They explain that she was a punctual person, and by leaving the children's asthmatic... Is that how you say that? Yeah. (laughs) Asthmatic foundation. Just a half hour before her planned visit with her mother, there would have been almost no time to stop and shop. Police believe that, based on that theory, the murderer may have confronted her outside the Asthmatic Foundation, forced her to drive to the remote canal where she was murdered, and then drove her car to the mall parking lot. So, I don't know about this. There were reports of witnesses seeing her at the mall, and Mm -hmm. also her car was blocking traffic when it was found. Yeah, which is kind of weird. Yeah, would the killer just, like, commit this crime and then be so brazen like that and go to this public mall, park the car in the middle where someone's going to notice that it's in the way, and then also find the time to, like, slash or deflate her tire and then, like, run Mm -hmm. away without a car? I don't know. This one's – it's a weird one for me. Yeah, it's definitely – scary because of how like brutally mutilated her body was too. yeah i was gonna say these are getting like increasingly mm-hmm. horrible like yeah more and more despicable um, it's almost like the killer is just getting worse yeah exactly eight days later after ronnie was found on july 30th 21-year-old Elise Rapp left her apartment to go out for a quick shopping trip. Elise was originally from New York and had recently moved down to Florida for work in June of 1975. The next morning, a construction worker found Elise in the same canal, Graham Canal, and only blocks away from where Ronnie was found. Elise was also found naked with only a necklace with the Hebrew inscription for life around her neck. After her autopsy, it was determined that her cause of death was drowning after being struck in the head, but she had also been sexually assaulted before her death. Dr. Wright also noted that she was sexually mutilated in a very similar way to Ronnie, but found it to be even more vicious. So, yeah, this guy's getting worse and worse as Mm -hmm. it goes on. 
Later on that same night that her body was discovered, her Chevy Vega was found at the Sears Hollywood Mall parking lot with one tire slashed. In both of these cases, the killer chose women who were traveling alone, and it's assumed that while shopping or being away from their cars for some time, he deflated their vehicle's tires and waited for them to return, often offering to fix their tires and presenting himself as a good Samaritan. So Hmm. they would come out to their cars. He would, like, pretend that he's going to help them out. Yeah. And I'm assuming somehow lured them into his car. That, to me, makes more sense than the whole, like, using her car, taking her to the site, Mm -hmm. bringing it back, and, like, leaving it there. It's more, like, likely. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but I was wondering, like, why why he was slashing their like it wouldn't make sense yeah. to drive their car back and then slash the tire exactly because you can't drive the car with the tire slashed. So mm-hmm. he would like why even do that at that point? Exactly, it just makes more sense that like he used it as a tactic as a ploy to get them to trust him or something. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of the papers like focused on too. They were saying, like, be careful because there is this guy out there mm-hmm. slashing tires and then pretending to be helpful and then taking mm-hmm. these women and killing them. I wonder if he, w- he like, offered to give them a ride to, like, a- an auto shop or That's something That's what I'm like thinking. It- Probably. Because yeah. he somehow be- got them in his car, I'm right. assuming. Yeah. So, yeah, something like that he probably mm-hmm. offered. After these two were found, police couldn't deny that there was a possible serial killer active in the Miami area. So far, there were a total of nine young women who were killed in South Florida, all in a very similar manner. Again, the suspected serial murderer seemed to have gone quiet after the death of Elise Rapp. However, another body was found in the fall of 1975. Mary Coppola was a 15-year-old sophomore at Southgate High School. She lived with her parents in Homestead, Florida, which is about 40 miles south of Miami. She was one of six children. Although she grew up in a stable and loving home, she was troubled and ran away from home a few times. Once in August 1975, her mom found her at a Burger King and brought her home. She was described as an average student who was well-liked and friendly. In her freshman year of high school, she began dating an older guy who was in his 20s. While Mary was a good kid previously, this guy was a bad influence on her. Her friends explained that she was always on the straight and narrow and that the worst thing she ever really did was smoke cigarettes. But this guy, over time, got Mary into drugs and began to follow in his unsavory and she began to follow in his unsavory footsteps. Her parents eventually contacted Genesis Outreach, a counseling center for youth with current or previous drug problems. Mary began going there in the summer of 1975. One of her counselors described her as troubled over peer pressure, parents, friends, and drugs. On September 2, 1975, Mary was scheduled to meet with her counselor. That day, her mother dropped her off at the facility, and later on, her parents reported her missing after she didn't make it home. About three months later, on January 1st, 1976, hunters were out near the Monroe-Dade County line. 
and found bones spread around in about a 50-foot wide area. This location was also reportedly 20 feet from a canal. After testing, it was found that the bones belonged to Mary, but due to the condition of the remains, the cause of death could not be determined. It is believed, though, that she died in early September shortly after she went missing. So this one's, like, kind of a little bit different because she wasn't found, like, a day later. Exactly. It was a while Um, later. And and she wasn't in the canal. She was near it. Yeah. It's weird that... Her bones were spread out so far. Yeah. I guess that could be due to, like, animal activity. But that's that's... what I was thinking at first. But I don't know. Maybe, like, vultures or something do that. But But um, again, you can see that this guy is... I mean, if it really is the same killer, which a lot of people do assume, he's getting smarter about it. He's getting... He's, like, concealing them better almost. Like, mm-hmm. this took – it took everyone three months to finally find her. hmm So he's, like, evolving in the way that he's committing these murders. Right. Yeah. It's almost like he's getting more – especially with the last couple ones, it's almost like he's getting more confident in himself, mm-hmm. too, because he keeps getting away with it. Exactly. We get into, like, a profiling later on, but – um, they assumed that he was one of those killers who was super proud of what mm-hmm. he did. And he almost wanted to, like, show it off. And then right. also just the fact that, like, he wasn't getting caught. It was, like, yeah. a really big pride thing for him. Right. Yeah. Or whoever it was. I think I read in my case that I researched, um... That there was like there was an FBI profile that profiler or former FBI profiler that said there's really like two types of serial killers. There's mm. obviously there's more than that, but like he he said you can kind of categorize them into two basic groups. Groups like the group that kind of gets off on seeing themselves get away with it, yeah. and they literally just grow more and more confident, and they start to risk more mm-hmm. whereas the other group will like commit their crime and then flee to like another oh, area yeah and maybe like years will go by and then they'll commit another crime and then they'll flee because they get scared that yeah. they're gonna get caught or whatever that's interesting that so, does I line that up really with a lot of cases right yeah like right off the top of my head i think of jeffrey dahmer and like ted bundy mm-hmm. and the high profile ones you can kind of see like, which one would fit into which category. Yeah. Because it's true. They do, like, I think the majority of them will mm-hmm. will are the ones who risk more as yeah. they get away with more. Because that's part of the thrill for a lot of them. Right. I feel like. Some of them, like, sick. almost want to be caught, I think, in a way. Mm-hmm. So that's why they keep doing more and more. But, mm-hmm. but some of them get off on, like, watching the media and the news like freak out about them they feel like they're important i can't speak (laughs) (laughs) they feel like they're important in some way it's like they want to go down in history Mm -hmm. as a disgusting sick individual who did this yeah because a lot of them like their whole lives they were they just felt like nobody's pretty much or like Mm -hmm. 
they didn't grow up in a good household where they didn't mm-hmm. get really much attention or whatever. And this is like a a way of getting the attention that they wanted yep. <laughs> their whole lives. It's really disgusting. It's really fascinating. I love that it show is. Mindhunter. Oh my god, it's goes such over a good all that show. Kind of stuff. It's so disgusting what these people do, but it's so fascinating to dissect like why mm-hmm. and like the almost reasoning behind it right um and then like the profiling is so interesting too yeah it's just like captivating it's crazy so unfortunately we are not done going through the victims yet no (laughs) marlene annabelle was living in pennsylvania and working as her secretary she was married but had been separated from her husband for a short while In an attempt to rekindle their relationship, the two booked a trip to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. For whatever reason, Marlene ended up flying to Florida alone. She arrived in Fort Lauderdale from Pennsylvania on October 17, 1975. She met up with some friends that lived in town and they drove her to the the Fort Lauderdale Beach Club where she had a room rented for her one-week stay. She was last seen alive on October 22nd, 1975 at 9.30 a.m. by housekeeping staff at the beach club. The witness remembered seeing Marlene in a blue or purple dress as she left her room for that day. After a few days of finding the room untouched, the maid found it odd as if no one was really staying in the room. By October 27th, three days after Marlene was seen or heard from, her local friends became worried and decided to contact the hotel in hopes they would have some information. After these accounts, the hotel staff called the police the same day. The following day, a man named Luther Hill, living in Cooper City in western Dade County, began noticing an overwhelming smell of rotting flesh. Something that many people have never experienced, but you hear so many accounts of witnesses or law enforcement stating that even if you have never smelled it before, it's mis- it's like unmistakable. Like you yeah. just know that that's what it is. Yeah, I've heard that so many times. So near his house, there was kind of a dumping ground where kids would like mess around or people would go there shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, Near the end of the road in this field, which was off 163rd Avenue and Griffin Road, Hill began looking around cautiously. After walking into some tall weeds, he saw two feet sticking out underneath a sheet of plywood. Once he saw this, he rode off on his bike to call the police. This body was identified as Marlene. She had been strangled with a rope and was still wearing her blue or purple dress. She had no shoes on and no handbag near her, but was still wearing her jewelry. Her autopsy concluded that there had been that she had been severely beaten in her abdomen, but had not been sexually assaulted. Her cause of death was strangulation. And her body was so badly beaten that her husband couldn't even definitively identify her. And authorities had to use dental records to confirm that it was indeed her. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. Oh, that would be horrifying. It would be having brutal, to do that. Yeah. 
The investigation that followed her death revealed that Marlene had not used a cab before her disappearance, and police believed that she had been walking along the beach when she was abducted. But not much else is really known about it, unfortunately. Yeah. It's really sad. It's really sad because there were not that many sources on this either. Mm -hmm. I had to go off of a a lot of, like, newspaper articles that were published back in 1975. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, the Wikipedia helped a lot. And there was also another article on Medium that had a lot of information, too. Oh, yeah. But it's all just so, like, vague. And there's just not much about the investigations that happened Mm -hmm. either. So it's really hard to, like, figure out what they were doing if they had this evidence, if they were testing it, you'd if they had suspects. Like you would probably have to, like, submit a, pub- a public records, public records request, request for that. Yeah, Because it's just not, like, that big of a case, I guess. Which is weird. Individually, they're not. Yeah, that's true. Oh, it's just so sad. I wish... I wish we knew more about each one of them, Mm -hmm. but we just don't have that much info. The 12th and final victim of the supposed serial killer was Michelle Winters, a 17-year-old who was last seen in January, in early January in Fort Lauderdale. The friends that saw her last explained that Michelle was sharing with them that she had been depressed and was planning on enlisting in the Navy. Michelle's body was found floating in Snapper Creek and Pembroke Pines on January 11, 1976. Michelle's mother told investigators that she thought it might be likely that her daughter voluntarily entered her killer's car as she often preferred to hitchhike. Again, with the hitchhiking. Let's stop hitchhiking. Oh, <laughs> I know this is so like so popular back then, but- yeah. Oh my god, you always hear about it. Like so know, many yeah. bad things happen. Like so just... many bad. I'm glad outcomes. that that's not. I'm glad it's not that like much of a thing anymore. Like people right. still do it's it. It's not but as popular to hitchhike. People have learned at least. The suspected perpetrator was profiled and described as a white male, aged 20 to 25 at the time, well dressed, physically athletic and attractive possibly with an above-average IQ, and a sexual sadist. Using his charm, he would win the trust of his potential victims and then lure them into his car. A reward of $1,000 was announced for any information that would lead to his capture. Again, this is like kind of solidifying the theory that he would, the killer would like trick them into mm-hmm. uh, getting in his car yeah um especially with like the flat tire ones Um, and they're thinking that he had good looks he was physically attractive he had to be charming yeah yeah and he looked trusting probably Mm -hmm. right exactly sergeant edwin carlston (laughs) why are the names such a weird name hard (laughs) sergeant edwin of Sonoma County, California, has suggested that the notorious flat tire murder may have been accountable for over 30 murders spanning multiple states during the 1970s, with the killing spree originating in California. The killings in California 
The killings in California abruptly ceased in December of 1973, but nine more similar murders were recorded in Washington the following year. <clears throat> I'm already out of breath. <laughs> I hate Talking that too so much. <laughs> yeah. These stopped in September. After Washington, more strings of killings happened in Idaho, Utah, and Colorado. These all had very similar MOs. So across across the nation, these series of cases shared so many similarities. The victims bearing striking physical resemblances were subjected to brutal beatings and sexual assault before meeting their tragic end. The perpetrator would strip the bodies and discard them in canals, streams, or nearby embankments. In total, there are 35 murders, which, according to this theory, were committed by the same man, but obviously this has not been proven. Some true crime enthusiasts, as well as some investigators, theorize that the notorious serial killer Ted Bundy could have been the culprit since he was at large in Florida in 1978. But so far, no evidence has been recorded of him being present in Florida during 1975. In fact, he committed murders in Colorado from January to April of 1975, in Idaho in May of 1975, and in Utah in June of 1975. On August 16th, Bundy was arrested in Ganger, Utah, Great Ganger. I don't know how to say that city. Something like that. That's yeah. a weird city name. <laughs> Bundy was arrested in Ganger, Utah after a chase by a highway patrol officer, but was released the next day. In October of 1975, Bundy was identified in a lineup by Carol DeRanch, who was who he tried to abduct in November of 1974. He was then arrested and charged with the crime and was held in Salt Lake City County Jail. So clearly, (laughs) he really wants that straight. Yeah, he does. Oh, there he goes. So clearly, the flat tire murderer couldn't have been Ted Bundy because he was active in these other states across the country. Mm -hmm. The timeline's just same months. Match up. It's just not him. Throughout the process of researching these cases, there were no mentions of any DNA or even, for that matter, evidence collection. So we really just don't know what the authorities have and Mm -hmm. if it can be tested today. Sadly, to this day, these murders remain unsolved due to this lack of evidence. Mm -hmm. I wonder if it could possibly be, if it's not Ted Bundy, I wonder if it was just like a copycat. It could be. Because it was around the same um, time period, but it just wasn't in the same. They weren't. Ted Bundy wasn't there. Yeah. Similar MOs, too, to Ted Bundy, which obviously Mm -hmm. makes sense because people were suspecting him for them. Right. Yeah. Um, Same thing with that Gerard. What was that other guy that we want to do a case on? Gerard. Um, I always forget his name. Let me actually find it because I'm going to. I'm going to say it wrong. <laughs> Gerard John Schaefer. Right. Very similar to him, too. And I, I believe he was in Florida as well. So it could have been a copycat from him or like. Right. 
people theorize that there's like networks of serial killers and they just strive to all do the same thing. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. It it honestly could be any of that. It could be someone acting alone, doing what they just want to do. It could be a copycat killer. Mm -hmm. It's just really sad the way that these women died. They were all so young. And the fact that like whoever did it still hasn't been caught. Yeah. It's really sad. And like chances are it's 2023 now. So like who knows? They could the person could be dead by now. That's what I'm thinking. Which is who knows if like they'll they ever got any kind of justice. We just I sure hope. I would like to think that what goes around comes around, but Mm -hmm. if he's dead, I hope he had a painful death. (laughs) Right. I just wish that we could know like what evidence there was and like can it be tested today? Because there's like DNA evidence has progressed significantly. Mm -hmm. Touch DNA even is like insane today as well. Mm -hmm. I just wish that we could figure it out. Yeah. But I don't know if that will ever happen. Yeah. Well, Well, (laughs) jinx. Jinx. (laughs) Yeah, that was the horrible case of the flat tire murderer. Mm Mm-hmm still unsolved if you have Mm -hmm. any other information that we might not have covered throughout each um individual case or the case as a whole Mm -hmm. let us know we love to hear from you guys and we love to hear your thoughts yes let us know what you think let us know Mm -hmm. what you think of the podcast what you think of the cases (laughs) but yeah all right. All right. <laughs> we will see you in the next episode. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs>Thanks for listening to the Weird and Wicked podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you drop a like and leave a review. And don't forget to survive. To survive. <laughs> Don't forget to survive. Don't forget to survive, you guys. (laughs) What is the crime junkie saying? Be rude. Be weird. Stay alive. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Something like that. (laughs) Exactly. Do that, you guys. Survive, people. (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on all of our socials so you know when the next episode is up. To her floor. <clears throat> she met up with some friends that lived <laughs> oh my gosh i just Here saw him like again. pop up <laughs> Go so <down>. quickly <laughs> he's so cute okay the second suspect in nancy's case was reported as a man who was involved in a love triangle with her his- <laughs> i can hear them playing with them. that's so Aria. cute though <laughs> I love it. What are you doing? Did you bring that in here? Oh.